So there we go. I'm John Kane, and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Tuesday, October 8th. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do start, in some cases, uh, continue in uh, conversations. Anyway, um, uh, we don't do prayers and we don't do Buffalo speeches. We take a tough look at our history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity, and we do step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. Um, uh, we we take on uh, the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that's being heaped upon us, and we do it all right here from the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. But first, let me remind people that our audio streams uh, uh, at www.letstalknative.com, and we stream live video of the show on our Facebook uh, group pages via Facebook Live. We take the audio of the show and we put it up on SoundCloud, which puts it out to all your favorite podcast platforms. And we take the video and we put it up on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. And I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and share and comment on uh, on what we talk about here. Look, I know some of the things that I talk about here are not the widely held opinions on some of these issues. And while I'm not necessarily trying to change the opinion, I'm also I am trying to enter um, perhaps some other thoughts into the conversation. I am the uh, the. Uh, the host and producer of the show and i'm joined here in studio by jake proud who is managing our audio and our video all right uh i want to talk fed rec i posted a um, i posted a um a well it was a bit of a meme but it was also uh an explanation to the meme and and then all the meme was 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 essentially a quote from what i'd written so let me first read what i wrote and put it up on facebook that got a pretty good response and and i was pleased that it got a response and Perhaps a little surprised that it got this response, but but this is what I posted today or yesterday on Facebook. I said, just to clarify an issue related to federal recognition of a tribe, band, or nation of Indians. The U.S. federal government, through its Department of Interior, lists 573 federally recognized tribes. They define a federally recognized tribe as a tribe, band, or nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States and under U.S. jurisdiction. This definition comes out of the Indian Reorganization Act, or otherwise known as the IRA, uh, of 1934. Now, to be clear, the overwhelming majority of Native people who the federal government claims as recognized never accepts accepted this definition uh, of themselves. The overwhelming majority of the 573 on the list never pursued, applied, or asked for this federal designation. Most of this list comes out of the manipulation of identifying Native people, first out of the obligation owed to Native people for being screwed out of their land and resources and other costs imposed on Native people through over two centuries of genocide. This FedRec system, and I call it FedRec, it's kind of a coined phrase, I guess, and I, uh, F-E-D-W-R-E-C-K. This FedRec system is now the hoop many are forced to jump through for funding and land rights that are now framed as welfare or grants rather than the defaulted upon debts of the United States. The federal government does not define Native people for our purposes, but for theirs. We should never depend on their recognition to define or validate us. There should be nothing more demeaning than to call ourselves members of a federally recognized tribe. That's the quote that I used for the, uh, for the meme, if you haven't seen it. We predate the existence of the United States and their bullshit FedRec system. Of course they recognize us. Denying such or framing us beneath them defines them, not us. So that's the the post that I put up on uh, up on uh, Facebook yesterday, 
and and I got a pretty good response. Uh, you know, uh, hundreds of likes and uh, reactions, uh, almost a hundred uh, shares, and it got shared across a lot of a lot of different places. And so that's the reason I want to. I mean, that's really the reason I want to talk about um, about Fed Rec in general, because I do, and I did have to qualify a few things along the way. So let me um, get back into you know into into some of that. situated here so i can look for your comments as they come in um all right so as i explained fed rec or the federal recognition um as again and they created a definition for what native people were in 1934 because they were really trying to solve a problem that they have never been able to tackle look we weren't a part of the original u.s constitution we were specifically uh put in the same category as foreign nations so in the Commerce Clause, where it says Congress shall have the power to regulate commerce in and among several states with foreign nations and with Indian tribes, not of, with Indian tribes, you can see that we're put on parallel with foreign nations. Uh, in the Treaty Clause, when it says the President of the United States had the power to negotiate treaties under the, with the advice and consent of the Senate, it was with treaties with foreign nations and Indian tribes. Again, we were not put into the same category. We were put in the same category, I should say, as with foreign nations. In the apportionment clause of congressional representation and taxation, they were clear to say that uh, that their apportionment, so their population, was not including Indians not taxed, which essentially meant Native people. I mean, because almost none of us were essentially a, a taxable people uh, under the laws of the United States. And there's no real place that they could ever, that they ever made could officially um change that i mean there, there's no date there's no event there's no surrender there's no treaty there's nothing that says okay we're yours now and so knowing that they they recognized us as a distinct people or peoples let's be clear because there were many of us I mean, I know they, they throw this number, 573 federally recognized tribes. But, and we'll talk a little bit about what, what, what that means and what they're calling a tribe uh, also. But they, they clearly recognize us as a distinct people, different from them, not included in their government, not a part of their government, but as, as an entity that had to be dealt with as sovereign nations. In spite of doctrine of discovery and all that other stuff, it's clear what their language was. And... And as they negotiated treaties, they recognized, you know, the Six Nations in particular, they recognized as a distinct people with land that was not claimed by the United States, with land that they would never claim until we would, uh, would ever chose to, to sell it to them. That's their language, not ours. That's their language. So they clearly recognized who we were. And I'm not just speaking for Six Nations. It, it, went, it went across all, all of the Native peoples for the, for the most part. And so that's what they recognized at the, you know, in the 18th century, going into the the 19th century, uh, there was there was still when they were even when they were trying to do re the removal act and 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 move native peoples west of the Mississippi. When it came to the, the Seneca Nation and and some of the the Six Nations, it was clear that they that they recognized as a distinct as as distinct people. When the Seneca said, "Wait a second, if we if we did go to Kansas." How would that land be held? And the United States made overtures to the Seneca Nation and said, "Well, that land would be yours, just like the land we're we're asking you know you to swap out now." Uh, and the United States will never claim it; it'll never be part of U.S. territory; it'll never be a state. 
It will it would be Seneca. So they knew even in the 1830s that the Senecas were, you know, and, and of course the other six nations were distinct and, and other native peoples were distinct and they had to treat us as such. Now, uh, you, when you move into uh, the post-Civil War era, when they, you know, they passed the 14th Amendment, which, you know, the 13th Amendment to end slavery and the 14th Amendment that would uh, designate all people born in the United States and under U.S. jurisdiction as U.S. citizens, they knew that didn't include us because we weren't under the jurisdiction. So in the, in, in the 1860s, in the, in the late 19th century, they know, even as they're trying to um, uh, grant citizenship to, uh, to, to former slaves, pe- you know, people who clearly were subjugated in, uh, in all manner of life by the United States as slaves, as they were uh, attempting, and, and they sure, sure didn't do it in the 1860s, but as they were attempting to, to make some changes to, to what was a citizen, I mean, they weren't giving black people the right to vote, but they were, they're, they're calling them citizens finally. Uh, but they, they still weren't calling us. And how do I know that? Because in 1924, uh, so again, another 50 years later, the United States passes the Indian Citizenship Act. And there they declare that all native people born within the, you know, continental United States are hereby declared citizens, uh, provided this act, provided this act doesn't, uh, violate any, you know, any, any property, uh, issues or, uh, and the like. But that was a, a a declaration that we didn't ask for. This wasn't us asking for for citizenship. So, so they knew that didn't fly. And how do I know the 1924 Indian Citizenship Act didn't accomplish what the United States intended for it to accomplish? Because in 1934, they're still trying to define what a native people. So that's when they come up with this definition that says an Indian, a federally recognized Indian, is a tribe, band, or nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States and under U.S. jurisdiction. I mean, that's their language. It's not ours. So that's what, in 1934, they were considering a federally recognized uh, Indian or tribe. Now, it seems crazy because, in other words, in 1934, there were still Native people who were not uh, being recognized as subordinate to the laws of the United States. Now, that didn't mean that they weren't Native. That means that they weren't recognized as under U.S. jurisdiction. And Many people still existed that way. Now, how do I know that? Because today, even today, when a, when any native peoples are trying to uh, uh, reacquire lost lands or lands that were, you know, however they were lost, the fraud, you know, fraud, theft, whatever, as they as they applied to use what they call the fee to trust system. Now, of course, the only ones who can do this are the quote unquote federally recognized tribes, but the United States says. Well, but you had to be federally recognized. You had to be under U.S. jurisdiction in 1934 to use this. Otherwise, you can't reacquire lost lands. So by by the way they're applying this 1934 rule, it is clear that not all Native people were under U.S. jurisdiction at the time. And they're, so what they're saying, if you weren't under our, our jurisdiction then, you can't get your land back now, which is, of course, is ludicrous. But this is... You know the contradictions and 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 showing the glaring holes in how they were trying to frame native people. So today, again, we still go back to that 1934 rule because today they are saying that a federally recognized tribe or or, or peoples are 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 tr- uh, they have to be a tribe, band, or nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States and under U.S. jurisdiction. Now. They claim that there's 573 of these federally recognized tribes. Now, for one thing, 
if you look at the list of these 573, some of these aren't even, they're not uh, even distinct Native people. Some of these are just a community. I mean, for one thing, the Mohawk Nation is not a federally recognized tribe, which I'm okay with. The St. Regis tribe is a federally recognized tribe. They're the only Mohawks under this this so-called federal recognition. Now, most of them, the the Gunyagahaga, most of the Mohawk people in Akwesasne or any place else would never accept that uh, that definition. And in fact, even though the the Saint Regis tribe is is federally recognized, their constituency, the the the, the Mohawk people who live in Akwesasne, would would reject that definition. The Seneca Nation is a federally recognized tribe. They're on the list. But the Seneca Nation never asked for that designation, and they never agreed with it. They never said, oh, yeah, we're subordinate to the laws of the United States. And before I get too far into this, I know one of the things that always gets said, of course you're subordinate to the laws of the United States. Of course you're not sovereign. You get federal funds. Well, so does Israel, folks. So you you try that with some of these other countries before you, you turn around and try it, try it on us. And you know what? Israel, United States has no debt to Israel. United States has a huge debt to Native people. And every place from, from Hawaii to Alaska to, you know, to Florida to Maine. So make no mistake about it. The funding that the United States uh, and Canada, for that matter, uh, put up for Native people, although they're fr- trying to frame it now as charity, as, as some sort of, you know, um, goodwill. No, it's debt. It is debt. The United States hasn't even, and I'm not even talking about reparations because they're not even close to addressing that. Just debt for, for having, you know, unlawfully or otherwise, you know, uh, ceded lands, you know, or seized lands. Most of the lands that they claim, I mean, and you, you, you hear this all the time in Hawaii, but you'll hear it in other places, unceded lands. The United States is claiming them, but they have no legal right to do so. I mean, the Black Hills are another example. We can, we can look at land claims all over the place where the United States violated their own laws in order to, um, you know, to, to gain access and occupancy, illegal occupancy on, uh, on native lands. I mean, that's, that's just a matter of fact. So when you, when you see, you know, again, what, what this manipulation is, I think it's important that people realize that just because the, um, some entities, and again, the, the names are terrible. Even the Seneca Nation, call themselves the Seneca Nation of Indians. I mean, come on. For one thing, if you wanted to use our language, it would be Onundawaga. But even if you were going to use the word Seneca, which is not our word, not a Seneca word, then why not just stop at Seneca Nation? I mean, not, not that that solves the problem. I mean, Mohawks. Why? I mean, the St. Regis tribe of Mohawks. I mean, they didn't even they didn't even threw the uh, the Mohawk part. It used to be just the St. Regis tribe, SRT. Now, now it's SRMT. I mean, come on, St. Regis Mohawk Tribe. And if you go across, um, you look at this list again of 500, you're going to see every um, entity, you know, in New Mexico, uh, the Pueblos, for instance. Everyone is a Pueblo. I mean, you, you've got rancherias. You've got all these names that are associated with forts, with, uh, you know, with, with either these Spanish names or these French names, uh, La Couture, Coeur d'Alene. I mean, those aren't our words. But these are the words that they have listed on the paper. And so we accept that. Um, um, Cheyenne River Sioux, uh, the Cheyenne River Sioux, the, the, the Cheyenne know, I mean, or, 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 um, uh, am I, am I, no, um, I'm sorry, it's not even, uh, 
but even a lot of these Lakota territories, they they go by these names and and they accepted the fact that the United States is calling them Sioux, and that's not even their word. And that word is is, is an insult. So when you look through all of this stuff, I mean, all the ones that are called tribes, all the ones that are called, um, uh, and and again, I think the word tribe is a huge insult. Look how it's used um, by by talking the talking heads on on TV and radio, on the internet, wherever. Every time they talk about something that's tribal, it's 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 derogatory. Tribalism is an insult. Oh yeah, there you see another example of tribalism. Yeah, they make it sound like it's a breakdown in 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 human sophistication and human civilization. That's when they use the word tribe. So when we, why would we call that or uh, call ourselves that when we know that that's how they're using it? Now they can claim, well, we don't mean it when we talk about you. We don't mean it in that insulting way. You know what? Bullshit. They do too. <laughs> so when we use these words that aren't ours, and you know, one of the guys who posts on this says, you know, we should be using our own, our own language, and I agree. But even if we're not going to use, if we're going to use words that we expect. The, the rest of the world to uh, to recognize and understand. One thing we can teach them our words. Let, let's be clear. We can teach everybody to say ungwe ungwe. They we don't they don't have to say Indian. They don't have to say Native American or First Nation. You know or or, or half of these other you know ridiculous expressions or, or colloquialisms that they use to describe who we are. I mean, I use the word native to be more benign in uh, you know even indigenous i mean as i wear my indigenous hat i mean uh, the problem i have with that word is that it is framed within the context of colonialism if you the international definition of indigenous suggests that we are the descendants of a sovereign people descendants of a of an original people like we aren't the original people anymore and you know what i call bullshit on that too so I agree. We should use we should use more appropriate language, but certainly we should get rid of the you know the insulting language. I mean, the misnomers like words Indian, uh, the insulting language words like like Sioux or tribe. No, let, let's just get rid of it. I'm not even crazy about the word nation because that's one of their words and it has connotation to it. So I mean, uh, again, I would much rather say that I'm Gunyagahaga or that I'm that I'm. I don't need to say I'm a I'm an enrolled member of the Mohawk Nation or the Saint Regis. No, I I can just say I'm Mohawk. I can just say I'm Gunyagahaga. Same with Senecas. I, you can just say you're Seneca. You can just say you're Onundawaga or Haudenosaunee or Ungwe Ungwe. We don't have to use their words all the time, and we can teach others our words so they understand. Because when we say Ungwe Ungwe, we don't mean just that we're you know the color of our skin. That definition comes from being a real human being forever. And forever means in both directions. It means that we have a past and we have a future. And that future and that past have us bound to um, to our land and to creation around us, to, to, the, to the place that we were created. So it ties us to all of the things that our, that our ancestors were tied to. That's why... You know, the idea of buying and selling land and moving all around. The, look, I'm not saying some Native people don't do it. But what really defines a Native person is somebody who has a sense of place and belonging to a place, a, a homeland. And I'm not just talking about, um, you know, a, a one-acre parcel here. I'm talking about the, the general sense that, that we are bound to Turtle Island, to, to the area, you know, to, to this continent, to, to, our, to our homelands. So... That's the reason we, we should be using these words is because they don't just mean they aren't just a label for who you know for who we are. They, there's a definition and there's there's identity associated with that stuff. 
See, and identity is a big issue here because there is the problem with this whole federal recognition issue. Too many Native people are using, I mean, like I said, I think it should be insulting to refer to yourself as a member of a federally recognized tribe because their definition, for only calling yourself a tribe is insulting enough, but their definition suggests that you're that you're under it, you're beneath them. And if you believe that, then by all means, you could, you know, then you might as well just call yourself an American or a Canadian. But it, but if you are really dedicated to who you are, your identity as a as Ungwe Ungwe, as, as a as a native person, regardless of what group of native peoples you're from, if that is who your identity is, then then don't use a federal designation for that. We need to use we look, language and words matter. And I don't mean just you know, native languages, Seneca, Mohawk, Onondaga, Kanyakahaga. I don't mean just native languages. I just mean the words that we use even within a language. They matter because they they mean something. I mean, I, I remember Stephen Newcomb wrote an article uh, in Indian Country Today, and he said, were we tribes before before white people came here? Of course we weren't because we didn't use that concept. And and again, whatever the derogatory meaning of the word tribe is. So so when when I when he asked that question, he he was asking it rhetorically. He knew what the answer was. He said, "Of course we weren't. We didn't have those kinds of um, uh, ways of of defining who we were, or as a group, or as a people. Most of our words, Gunyagahaga means the people from the land of Flint. Onondawaga, the people." from the land of the mountains or the big hills. Onyota'aga, the people from where the, where the land, the stones stand. Um, and so whether you say Dene or Anishinaabe, all of these words often, I mean, they, they all usually say something like that, they, that the, the people from a place. The, the, it, it describes the people and, and, the, and where their, who their mother is, a description of their mother, meaning the land that they're from. So when we say Gunyagahaga, the people of the land of Flint, we mean that's the part of our mother where the where the Flint was prevalent. So whether we, we were talking about a marshy area or a hilly area or you know a place where the sun rises or a place where the sun sets or you know um uh you know whether it's Black Hills or Everglades, wherever it is, these you know the the word um for the, the people who call themselves Tuscarora, the word that really described them was Katatnawaga, and it meant the people of the uh, of the sunken pine or the cypress of the, of the land where where you had those, those swampy areas where the where the trees were you know were, were rooted beneath the water. So the, it's all descriptive, and it, and it, so we always refer to ourselves as the people, not the nation, not the tribe, not the the confederacy, even. Those are words that were, you know, that we either adopted or imposed upon us. So again, these 573 fed wrecked tribes, some of these are just communities. They aren't even, they aren't, they wouldn't be looked at as nations or whatever else. I mean, some of these designations had to do with where the federal government put people, whether it was the, the mission, uh, St. Regis, that was a church mission. So the St. Regis Mohawk tribe, that name, name comes from a church. Saint, or, or from the church uh, the, the church associated with uh, with St. With Regis. 
you, and if you look at all of you know uh, San Carlos, you know that's you know all of these. So instead of just being the Apache, it's San Carlos Apache. You know, so these are are some of the uh, the difficulties in in the words that we allow them to attach to us as labels. And worse than the labels is the designation. Now, look, the federal government claims there's 573 federally recognized tribes. There are many, many native peoples who are not federally recognized for a variety of reasons. Some are in, the, in pursuit of such. And, and why? so why would somebody want to be labeled as a, uh, a tribe, banner, nation of Indian support of the laws of the United States? Well, part of the whole thing is they get laced with all these other problems. You know, I heard somebody somebody on, on one of my posts said something along the lines, well, we pursued federal recognition because we were being lumped in with Cherokee and we're Lenape. So they saw the federal recognition process as a way to distinguish them from other Native people. It wasn't that they were trying to gain distinction as a Native people. They didn't like how the federal government w- w- was labeling them. I mean, man, what a, what a sad way to solve that problem. And, and others are, are in pursuits of uh, of land claims or... Um, or you know, federal funding, you know, for programs, and and of course, when we talk about this federal pro- funding, and and people say, well, yeah, see, you're you're going to be dependent on the federal government, yeah, but the federal government owes us a, a, a many of these. I mean, think about the way the clinics work. I mean, here in Seneca Nation, if you get uh, if you're going to be serviced by the the, the clinic here in Cataraugus, you either have to provide insurance your own insurance or your employer's insurance, or they want to run you through the state Medicare program, Medicaid program. And so the, it's not the Indian Health Services that, that's footing the bill. It's not the federal government who has the responsibility because they took that responsibility on. One of the things that was worked out in many of these land sessions had to do with health, education, and welfare. So that's been passed on. So now we're, we look like a bunch of welfare recipients. And it shouldn't be treated that way. This isn't welfare. This is an obligation by the, by the federal government. And the, the problem is we buy into it, and we, and we start we start viewing ourselves that way, that we're we're just a bunch of welfare recipients, and that's and that's bullshit. It's not true. I mean, when we're we're fighting for land rights, we have to fight the federal government for what we do on our lands. How bizarre is that? And then we ask them to legislate for us to to provide us with you know with, with some. Uh, some freedoms on our lands. I mean, really? Why? Because we're federally recognized tribes. We want them to legislate to protect our women and our children because their laws allow. Um, uh, apparently, their laws must allow for our kids to be kidnapped and uh, and and you know sold and uh, and obviously put in these prison schools and put in these uh, uh, adoption programs, foster care. Apparently, the laws allow our women to be murdered and uh, and and uh, and uh, and kidnapped and. Uh, and rendered missing. But, you know, so, I mean, this gets into some of the things I've talked about in previous shows about what about our need to step up. But this, and, and look, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about what Hawaii is going through because they had a very unique situation. And I'm going to show you, show you some distinction. For instance, from what the, the Shinnecock had to go through for federal recognition versus what the Obama administration and and others, you know, uh, state senators from Hawaii, or, or I mean, I'm sorry, U.S. senators from Hawaii, were trying to create a streamlined process to to turn Hawaiians into Indians. 
We'll talk about that when we come back. Look, this is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. We're talking Fed Rec, and we'll, we got more to talk about when we come back. Uh, we'll be back after this. Well, well, uh, Thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Hey, I want to thank our um, my sponsors. I want to thank uh, Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses. I want to thank e- uh, Eric White and ERW Enterprises and the good folks at uh, at Grand River Enterprises and NWS for for supporting this program. Look, I also want to give a shout out to to a few individuals, in, including my you know my my friends VJ and uh, Jabe and uh, and Harry from uh, you know from down close to the city area. Harry from Pusputuk, I should say. Um, for helping, uh, for making a contribution for a specific need that I have at this point. Um, look, before I get back into it, I do have to give a bit of an announcement. As many of you know, I do two shows a week here from Seneca Territory, and then I travel to New York to do a radio show on a legendary station called WBAI. Uh, and when I say legendary, it's because it has been the, you know, really the example of what what people would call progressive radio. Uh, you know, much of their programming was like freeform radio, kind of something a style that that i was drawn to and it's, and it's a style that i use for 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 this show and for my show down there i was doing a what was at one time a, a two-hour talkback show now it's a one-hour talkback show but on monday wbai is community um is, is a community radio station it's owned by a a corporation that that has a, a not-for-profit not for profit corporation that has four other stations one in houston one in washington um i think Two or three in Cal, two in California, I guess. So that that five altogether. Well, this company called Pacifica shut down WBAI on Monday. They they locked they locked the doors and they they fired all the staff and they canceled all local pro, uh, programming, locally produced programming, including my show. And they began airing just you know, selected shows from their other stations in Pacifica. Now. WBI is a is a station that is usually in at some level of financial difficulty all the time. Um, look, the, the the media market has changed. Uh, WBI has not responded well to you know coming up with other funding strategies. They are listener supported radio, and frankly, the listeners aren't quite there the way they used to be. So this was the rationale for Pacifica Corp to shut them down. Um, 
but apparently the uh, the folks at WBI managed to get an injunction or a temporary restraining order, and so it looks like Pacifica hasn't successfully done this takeover quite yet. Now, I didn't know if I was going to do a show in New York this week or not. Um, I know they're still working on some of the details, so I will not be in New York this Thursday, but I don't know about next Thursday. So it is entirely possible that the last show that I did on WBA was the last show I'll do on WBAI, but, but we'll, we'll find out. Um, I will, my plan is to still do a show here out of my studio on Thursday. I still plan to do that show and I'm going to see if I can work out between Jake and I, if we can work out, um, uh, you know, perhaps a phone system or something like that. If in, in, in the absence of having a venue in New York and I am working on a few, you know, perhaps some, some solutions there too with, with, uh, with other producers. Um, but I will still do a Facebook live stream. I'll, I'll put this out on my, uh, you know, on streaming live on my, on my website as a podcast, as a YouTube video. We'll still, we'll, we're still going to try to do a Thursday show regardless of what's, ha- what's happening at WBAI. Um, but I do want people to be aware that eh, there's trouble. There, there's trouble at WBAI. And I, and I, I got to tell you, I love doing a show in New York. I love the, the, the the place that our studio is located is at uh, 388 Atlantic Avenue. It's uh, where the Brooklyn Commons, the name of the building is the Brooklyn Commons. I've done events there. I've screened films. I've had, uh, you know, musical guests like Jeff Doreen and, and you know, and others, uh, Young Jubway. Different people have come in to perform. I've had speakers, you know, like I said, uh, uh, we, we've done a, a variety of things. We, we've hosted some some major events on environment there. Uh, and it's something that, that I, frankly, will continue to do. I mean, even... If I don't have a venue in New York to do a radio show uh, of some sort, I will probably still uh, continue to do events. In fact, I got an event coming up on the uh, the eighteenth um, at Verso Bookstore, uh, Verso Books in uh, in in Brooklyn. Uh, my friend Jeremiah Hosea, we've got an event uh, uh, planned, and it's a conversation with John Kane um, and w- with some music, uh, and just a, a real solid uh, DJ from from the from the Brooklyn area who's going to provide music. So we're we're looking forward to that, and that's. Uh, that's Friday evening um, on, like I said, on the 18th. So I'm still going to do events in New York, but uh, eh, there's trouble at WBAI. So we'll see. We'll see how this this plays out. So I, I just want to let people know that uh, I know some of the folks who listen to this show uh, catch my shows in New York and vice versa. So uh, it's the best explanation I can give give so far. So we'll we'll see what comes of it, and, and I'll keep you keep you updated on that. Um, okay, so I wanted to talk about uh, about FedRec now. I know I have friends down in Long Island, not just the Pusputucks, Harry Wallace, who, who again is a, is a, uh, a supporter of the show, but uh, in Shinnecock, I've got friends there. Lance Gums, who is a Gums, is a, is a friend of mine. Um, but I've been carrying, you know, covering the story on the Shinnecocks, putting up what they call a monument, but essentially an electronic billboard, and you know, and the, and the white folk lo- losing their mind because they think it detracts from their million dollar mansions in the Hamptons. It's, it's just kind of funny. Um, but the Shinnecock are a federally recognized tribe. Now, they didn't initially begin trying to become federally recognized. What they were trying to do was assert some land claims issues and some and some land use issues, and 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 it kind of you know forced them into a um, the what they call the recognition process, the or the federal acknowledgement process, uh, which is which is ridiculous all by itself. This process is is so such a, a, a monumental task that the, the Shinnecock spent over $3 million. Or, no, I'm sorry. I may have this completely wrong. It might be $30 million. I, I, I think it's close to, 
I, I may have my numbers mixed up, but they, they spent a small fortune, and I think it was $30 million, $33 million, um, to pursue federal recognition. So what happens is you end up spending so much money that even if you didn't want to do gaming, you realize that gaming may be the only way to bail yourselves out of the debt you got into pursuing federal recognition. So even if you didn't get weren't even if you weren't pursuing federal recognition to do gaming, you almost have to do gaming to pursue federal recognition. It's 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 that absurd. So and there are hundreds of uh, groups of native peoples who have been pushed in this situation where they're either uh, involved in this long 30-year process to become federally recognized uh, and, and tens of millions of dollars, sometimes, which, ne- which never happens, or, or when they do get federally recognized, they'll find out that they pulled that 1934 rule and says, yeah, we're going to recognize you now, um, you, and we should have recognized you before, but in 1934, we didn't recognize you um, as a tribe, band, or nation of Indian support of the laws of the United States, so you can't reclaim lost land. We don't care how you lost it. We don't care who you lost it to. We don't care that it's right there. We don't care if you're still living on it. If we don't consider it uh, it Indian land, we're not gonna we're not gonna consider it Indian land because we didn't consider you ours in 1934. I mean, this is the the craziness of all this. All right. So now juxtapose that against what's happening in Hawaii. Now Hawaii is an illegally occupied territory. The United States unlawfully and illegally occupied Hawaii. They they essentially committed a bloodless coup against the Hawaiian kingdom where a bunch of white men said, oh, the Hawaiian kingdom doesn't exist. We're the, we're the Republic of Hawaii and we want to be annexed. Now, the president of the United States knew this was a crock of crap, so he wouldn't submit. He, he wouldn't even, he, he not only wouldn't agree to this annexation treaty with this the slew of white men claiming to be the government of Hawaii, he rejected it out of hand. So, and, and this was Grover Cleveland from Buffalo, I might add. Not the greatest president in the world, but in this case, he was he, he understood what was being what was being attempted. So when he gets replaced by McKinley, who also had some fame here in Buffalo, <laughs> well, not, not not the kind he wanted, but when McKinley comes in, they said, no, we don't have an annexation treaty, but here's what we're going to do. We're just going to pass a joint resolution of Congress, which is illegal, to claim Hawaii. So through a joint resolution of Congress, and and a joint resolution is not a law. I mean, a resolution is not a law. To to pass an annexation of, of a new land, in, in the Senate needs a two-thirds majority. You have to have a, a signed treaty, which they didn't have, and you have to have two-thirds of the Senate confirm that treaty. None of that happened. It said through a simple majority of the House and the Senate, the United States just claimed Hawaii or, or certain lands of Hawaii, which, uh, again, illegal, um, absolutely unconstitutional under the laws of the United States. I mean, but that's what they did. And, of course, in, this was in, you know, at, the, at the turn of the, the 20th century. And then in 1959, they, uh, they make it the 50th state. You know, they, they passed... They pass it uh, in, uh, into law, um, not not through a joint resolution of Congress either. They they, they declare the uh, Hawaii the fiftieth state. Now, so what about the Hawaiians? <laughs> what about the native people, the Kanaka Maoli? 
Now, they were opposed to this. I mean, they, they signed what they called the, the Kuwait petitions. They, they were very, very outspoken. The queen, I mean, the Hawaiian, Hawaii was a kingdom. They had a queen. She protested. She's the one who petitioned uh, Grover Cleveland and, and others. And in fact, Grover Cleveland agreed. Oh, yeah, we, got, you know, we need to restore the Hawaiian kingdom, but we need some assurances that you're not going to execute those who committed treason against you. So, so Queen Lilio Kalani agreed, but then it never happened. McKinley gets, or I mean, uh, Cleveland gets voted out. McKinley gets in, and of course, they're all hawks, and they already have designs on what they're going to do in the South Pacific, and they know grabbing uh, Hawaii. It, it was a strategic location for not only to grab Hawaii uh, all by itself, but they knew that was a foot that that was a foothold into into um, creating more aggression against Japan and and anybody else who stood in the way in in the South Pacific. So that that's what the the, the design of the United States was. They were under McKinley and then, then Teddy Roosevelt. They, this was a, a American imperialism, uh, the birth, the birthplace of American imperialism beyond what took place, you know, in with their quote unquote manifest dest, destiny and westward expansion through native territories. Now, man, they were stretching their legs well beyond, well beyond uh, uh, the U.S. territories. So that's what they were after. So, but again, what, what about the, the Hawaiian people? What about the Ganakamali? So they rejected all this. And, and, and by the time you get into, you know, more contemporary times in the 1970s and that kind of stuff, now you're starting to get some acknowledgement about what transpired. You get into the Clinton administration and he passes, again, a joint resolution of Congress apologizing for what the United States did to the Hawaiian kingdom and to the Hawaiian people. And then they start figuring, well, what can we do for these people that we, that we wronged so badly? They sure as hell weren't thinking about giving Hawaii back. Among the things that started being uh, being kicked around was the idea of looking at uh, that the the native Hawaiian population as another Indian tribe. It would be a huge Indian tribe. It would be larger than the Navajo. It would be you know uh, between a half a million and a million people. And and of course, if they made it one tribe, it'd be huge. Or they were going to do like like they do with these five hundred seventy three federally recognized tribes, create these little divisions and try to. Cut up Hawaii, the Hawaiian people into into a dozen little uh, little tribes of Hawaiians. So how did the Hawaiian people feel about that? They hated it. The Obama administration was trying to pass a streamlined, a fast track process to um, to federally recognize Native Hawaiians, the Ganakamali, as an Indian tribe. That's what the Obama administration was. So he sends his Interior Department, and and at first it was John Kerry, uh, or no, I'm sorry, John Kerry was the Secretary of State. He sent his interior department, but the, those people who are representing, who, who are still calling themselves the Kingdom of Hawaii, they said, hell, hell no. Don't send us the interior department. Send us John Kerry. We're a foreign nation. We need to talk to your state department, not your interior department. And they were saying, hell no, don't send the interior department. But the Obama administration sent the interior department. Sally Jewell, uh, who was the, the secretary of the interior at the time. They hosted a series of meetings all around the islands. And I don't remember. There might have been a dozen, maybe fifteen, and including a few on the continent and uh, in areas that were cons- where uh, these Hawaiian Hawaiian civic clubs existed, where pockets of Hawaiian people who live on the continent would go. Most of them, by the way, were being held at quote unquote Indian casinos, which, by the way, a Hawaiian tribe could not have because, as far as the uh, the federal laws go, if the state doesn't have gaming, then the tribes can't have gaming. So even that was kind of crap. But um, so all of these these hearings that they had, 
Hawaiian people came out in huge numbers. And the overwhelming sentiment expressed at these things was, hell no, get rid of your interior department. You're not going to make us an Indian tribe. You're not going to do to us what you've done to Native people on the continent. That's what the overwhelming the over, overwhelming sentiment was. And you could, I mean, there's videos of it. You can find them online. You can find, I mean, I, used to, I was posting a bunch of them at the time, uh, the, these hearings that were taking place, you know, you know, place after place after place. And I'm talking about people who had to ride on, on really rough roads because, I mean, Hawaii isn't, you know, it, Hawaii isn't just Honolulu. It's a lot of back, you know, backwoods areas, a lot of places where, where the roads are, you know, sometimes seasonally passable. And yet people were, were going out of their way to show up at these hearings to, you know, to, I mean, and all, sometimes being very, very vocal against the Interior Department representatives. In fact, the Interior Department started feeling so threatened. They were showing up with, with security forces because they felt like their, their lives were in jeopardy or, their, or they were, they, they were at risk of bodily harm. So in spite of all that, after they do all these hearings, they, they say, they, <laughs> this, again, this is the crap that the Obama administration did. They said, well, now we will receive written um, uh, commentary on this idea of fast-tracking uh, uh, federal recognition of a, of a Hawaiian tribe. And so all these form letters got sent in. I mean, and, and they're just electronic. So nobody knows if there's anybody really behind them or not. It's not like the human, the, the, the physical bodies that show up at a hearing. So when, when the Obama administration puts a report out on the response they got to, to, to creating this fast track system, they said the overwhelming response was, uh, was favorable towards creating this thing. And they, and they completely ignored the hearings and only referred to the, uh, to the, to the written responses they got, which oftentimes weren't even written. They were just, they were just a, a form letter. That, that somebody put the, attached their names to or somebody had their names attached to. Regardless of it, it, it didn't happen. The, you know, there's there's still the fight going on in Hawaii. Um, two fights, actually, because there's the fight over, you know, trying to protect Mauna Kea from uh, having this, you know, billion-dollar um, uh, 30-meter telescope built on their what they call their sacred mountain. Uh, and there's still the fight going on about uh, the restoration and the acknowledgement of the, of the Hawaiian kingdom. A fight that... When taken to the international community, I mean, it, it gets very, very um, good reception. But, you know, how do you take on the United States? You know, when the United States seems to dictate international policy. But that's, what, that's where we're at. But I, I, the reason I mentioned the Hawaiians is because I wanted to show an example of people who say, hell no, you're not going to put us in that box. You're not going to put us in this box of a tribe, band, or nation of Indians support of the laws of the United States. Now, again, I've got to be clear. <laughs> the vast majority of those 573 federally recognized tribes don't accept the, the definition that the United States uses. The problem is those that do depend on that federal recognition and wear it as their label, or as their validation. I mean, the worst thing that... One of the worst experiences I ever had was meeting somebody who... I mean, for all the world, looked like a white man, but um, uh, he was a lawyer, and he uh, and he and he claimed to be Cherokee, and he walks into the room and he and he, and he pulls out his tribal ID and he throws it on the table. And he goes, "Just so you know where I'm coming from," and and so this is his enrollment card to a federally recognized tribe. And I'm thinking, this is how you identify yourself with a card. That's not how Native people identify. We, we talk to each other. 
We get to know each other. We we want to learn about family. We want to know about place. Not not this little business card sized uh, ID that you want to throw around. It was hard to take this guy seriously because he wanted to to brandish a this little tiny card that was somehow supposed to impress us. Well, I'll tell you, maybe that impresses some people. And and maybe when you're when you're standing in front of a bunch of white people, you you have to, you know, you have to show them your deeds, as they used to say, right? But that's not the way that's not the way native people greet each other. So he automatically sent the wrong signal to us. And needless to say, the conversation didn't go very far. So I go back to this to this idea. Look, if if you for whatever reason feel absolutely compelled to pursue federal recognition, just be careful what you wish for. Be careful because they have that framed in a way. And unlike the vast majority of the 573 uh, federally recognized tribes who never asked to be recognized with that kind of definition, if you're pursuing it, you kind of are. You, you can't go in not knowing what fed rec means. That's why the Hawaiians rejected. They they rejected for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is seeing the abject poverty that so-called federally recognized tribes uh, are, are living under, and that sure as hell isn't what they want. They want they don't want um, some uh, use of lands held by the federal government for them, trust lands. No, they have lands, and they expect to to use their lands and respect their lands, and and to force others to respect their lands. That's you know that's why we have this Mauna Kea battle going on. That's why we have environmental fights that are going on you know all over Turtle Island. So if you rely, if you need to pursue this, you know, like this group of Lenape who said they needed to do that to distinguish themselves from Cherokee. I'm sorry, not the best option as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I'm not in your shoes, so I can't I can't say you were wrong. But I'll tell you one of the problems is we're looking, we're acknowledging the acknowledging the colonial powers and looking to them to validate our existence, or validate our identities. And as they validate our identities, they change the identity because we no longer are these these autonomous, distinct, sovereign peoples. No, you're subordinate. You're subordinate to the laws of the United States or Canada, for that matter. That's what their definition is. So. When we ask them to recognize us, if, if we ask them, then we're not asking them just to recognize us. We're asking them to subjugate us. We're, I mean, we're, we're willingly asked. Now, again, I can go through a, a long list of, of quote-unquote fed-wrecked fed tribes who, who have never asked for such a thing. And, and, we, and look, I see a lot of people you know, who will say, yeah, well, you, know, you, you can say this, this, and this, but you're... You're a federally recognized tribe, and they'll and they'll put somebody down. Look, I, I got to acknowledge that that many places never asked for that. Onondaga may never have asked to be federally recognized as a tribe, man, or nation of Indians to support the laws of the United States. So, are they? I I think we can make an argument that some of the the uh, the Haudenosaunee aren't, but consider what Onondaga has done with Oneida and Cayuga where they actually played the role, you know, claiming to be you know, the, the seat of the Grand Council to, to uh, direct the Interior Department to federally recognize Ray Halbritter or initially to federally recognize Clint Halfdown and now trying to get 
they're they're what I call the Heath Chiefs federally recognized. So Onondaga can't play ignorant to the to what federal recognition is and the fact that they have it if they are part of that process and if they've played that game, even if they claim, well, we didn't do it for ourselves. Well, it may be even worse that you did it to others. So I have a major problem with with uh, with what I hear out of Onondaga, uh, their, their so-called leadership. I mean, including, as I mentioned a couple times on the show, when I heard Oren Lyons go, uh, go out to the uh, NCAI convention and and suggest that Native people need to go out and vote in the U.S. elections, and that was at the at the midterm elections. I've never I've never heard Oren Lyons say that before. I've heard other iconic, so called iconic Native leadership do it. Suzanne Harjo, so many others. I'm, I'm in a constant battle with some of these folks, even on the Canadian side, because oh, we need to we need to we got to vote for uh, Justin Trudeau because he's the lesser of two evils between him and um, Shira. And I'm thinking that's not our system. If you vote in that system, you're assimilating. And and frankly, this pursuit of federal recognition, as it's defined by the United States, it too is a is assimilation. Now, I realize that sometimes people feel compelled like they have to do it because they need they're trying to protect lands. But I, I gotta tell you, if if I had to pursue federal recognition, the moment I got it, I would make a clear and public announcement. That their definition, while they accept, while while they accept that the United States recognizes them, they uh, they are clearly disturbed by what the United States thinks they recognize them as. We need to recognize each other. Is 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 my whole point. I mean, if you're if you're a native entity, if you're a native person, it shouldn't be up to the federal government to tell other native peoples who isn't isn't native. I remember a, a few years back when Rob Porter was the president of Seneca Nation. He actually um, tried to pass a resolution or made a declaration. I don't know what, whatever he did, but the executive order, whatever you want to call it, that um, Seneca licensed wholesalers could not engage with business transactions with non-federally recognized tribes. Yeah, Rob Porter literally told Seneca wholesalers and, and you know business people that they were bound by federal recognition standards as to who they could could and couldn't do business with, which is really really absurd. I mean, not only at the time did that would that have included both Pusvatuk and Shinnecock, but frankly, it, it included uh, you know Gunyange and 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 a few other territories. It's not up to I mean to for the Senate the president of Saga Nation to tell its people that they have to be bound by the federal recognition process as, as far as who they could recognize as Native people is absurd. We need to change how we deal with each other. And and again, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say what I said earlier in the show. Anybody trying to make the claim that because federal funds um, are, are received by this territory or that territory, whether it's for health or whether whatever it's for, that means that you're not sovereign then i'm sorry then you need to you need to try bringing that up to israel try to bring it up to to some of these countries that the united states dangles money over now are they compromised sure but but to say they're not sovereign is is absurd because again unlike 
our peoples, who the United States owes a huge debt. Forget about gratitude, because I'm not even asking for that, but they certainly owe us a huge debt. Those those Ganakamali in Hawaii, they are owed, owed a huge debt from what the United States did to them. And every native people in U.S. and Canada have been have been screwed over by by these colonial powers. Every one of us. And look, we without even getting into reparations, and not just reparations for things like residential schools or genocide, but just purely on on, on a land theft basis. The United States has never come close. And when I hear uh, uh, some white politician talk about all the wonderful things they've done for Native people, give me a freaking break. We lead in every category you don't want to lead in. Suicide, substance abuse, uh, uh, unemployment, poverty, uh, death, uh, uh, life expectancy, child mortality, you name it. If If it's a category, death by cop, prison population, if there's a category you don't want to lead in, we lead in it. <laughs> and you know what? These are the federally recognized tribes. So I wanted to you know, expand the thought that I shared on, on Facebook. And for those of you who have seen my post, by all means, share it. And you know what? Don't just share my words. Make them yours. You know, um, tell your story. I mean, add to it. Take from it. And look, if there's parts of it you don't like, I mean, I'm just saying, let there be a solid native voice condemning how the United States believes that, that, or what they believe is our identity. We need to define our identity, not let them do it for us. And and again, I can't say it any more plainly than that. So, again, you know, look, I'm probably going to do a show of some sort on Thursday, but I'll probably do it from my own studio here uh, in uh, our LTN studios in the Cattaraugus Territory of Second Nation. So, if you're used to, to listening or watching us on... Uh, on uh, on Facebook or you know catching our shows on YouTube or our podcast, we will do a a Let's Talk show um, on, on Thursday. We just won't be doing it from New York, and we'll see what plays out in, in at WBI in New York City as far as whether we uh, whether we still have a show on that station or not. But we'll we'll see that as we go. Um, for now, we'll see you on Thursday, and then back here on Saturday. This is John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh. Oh, me.